0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. So glad that you are joining us today on the Friday broadcast. Well, today I want to talk to you on the subject of what has ever happened to hope. What's happened to hope? The Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the things I think that has happened to Hope is that feelings have become facts. You know, one of the courses that I had in college was called Philosophy of Religion. And in this course, I was introduced to the channels of a very important subject, epistemology. And you said, man, that's not a very enlightening subject, but I would define that as how we know what we know. That's the study of epistemology. How do we know what we know? Well, our brains gather information from different lanes, kind of like on a highway. And so you have the rational part. uh, That would be the truthful part. Uh, You have the practical part. That's things that we know we do that are helpful. Uh, We don't care if it's true or not, but does it do what I want it to do? And then the third way that we gather information is through the uh, intuitive, right? Kind of, I feel this way. And so we perform Mathematical calculations rationally. Uh, We use our computers practically, unless we're computer engineers, in which case they will use them rationally. But for me, my computer is a very practical device. I buy things through Amazon. I type sermons on my computer. I do a lot of Google searches for things when I would buy something or if I have a question about things. And so it's very practical. And then uh, we tend to like people, however, intuitively. So we call all of these three ways in which we gather information, but it's kind of through one channel. And that one channel that we use the most is kind of the dominant part of our personality. So it, it seems like our society, for the most part, has become involved intuitively. And our founders built our nation on a highly reasonable principle uh, that it were derived from Judeo-Christian ethics and the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, I was during the time of the Enlightenment, so it was very rational, right? And during times of global war and economic crisis, we have been driven more pragmatically. Today, as we're looking at a postmodern culture, you know, it seems like truth has become very subjective, very personal, and we kind of measure life through our, our feelings and our passions. So, when we think about democracy and we think about The Decline of Reason. This is actually a thesis by William Davis in his important study, and he calls this study Nervous States, Democracy and the Decline of Reason. And he makes some observations, and he observes that experts and facts no longer seem capable of settling arguments to the extent that they once did. You know, objective claims about economy, society, the human body, and nature can no longer be successfully insulated from emotions. And he illustrates it this way. And he says, in 82% of countries around the world, 82% of countries around the world, less than half of the public expresses trust in media. And this is contributing directly to the rising cynicism toward governments the governmental institutions of the European Union and Washington, D.C. are viewed as centers for the elite, with the elite privilege, which serves themselves rather than the public. So an overwhelming majority look at government, and it's not just here in the United States, but overall in the world, are uh, they looking at government that is run by the elite, those who basically will come up with rules for everyone else and exempt themselves from those rules, and they really are serving themselves rather than the public. One factor in being able to understand this is that we receive information at an unbelievable speed. So trusting experts whose work takes time is less appealing than assessing the world through the Internet. And so he actually cites a 2017 Survey, which he found that there more people are willing to trust research engines than human editors. So the second factor is our culture has this heavy reliance upon Google and Twitter, but they don't produce or report facts; they report what is trending. So if we see something that is really trending, we're going to assume because it's trending so highly uh, that it must be true. For example, mass demonstrations. Whether they're in Iran or Hong Kong or Times Square conveys what Davies calls the depth of feeling that brought so many people into one place at a time. What is trending must be true, or so we think. And so what they do is they will trend certain things that they want to get traction on. And because it is trending high, and we don't even know if it truly is trending that high, We assume that a lot of people are involved in this. Now, there's another factor. So we said the first factor is the fact that we don't trust government. The second factor is that we are relying on popular trends. A third factor is the degree to which many people do not feel represented by their leaders or the so-called experts. Uh, Stock market highs will ring hollow to those struggling to get by. You know, proclamations of social progress frustrate those who feel left behind. So, are these facts at all related? Feelings have now become the facts of our day. And that's why you can even have it so much so that somebody can feel like they've been abused and whether or not the facts support that we will affirm that that they've been abused even though there's no facts to support it because they feel it, so it must be true. So feelings are now the facts of the day. But are they the best test for what is right and what is wrong? Consider this as an example. Today's television programming is full of references to alcohol and depictions of drinking. In one study, Alcohol was found to comprise 30% of all food and beverages portrayed. This despite research indicating that portrayals of alcohol consumption on TV and in movies contribute directly to increased alcohol consumption by viewers. Perhaps we should not be surprised by this frightening report. The number of Americans drinking themselves to death has more than doubled over the last two decades. Uh, you won't find anybody coming against alcohol, do you? You see it glorified, you see it portrayed often. More than a quarter of Americans now see themselves as spiritual but not religious. Fewer than that percentage believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. At the same time, 62% of Americans are dissatisfied with the direction of our culture. Are these facts? Related, Charles Spurgeon said this, Let this one great, gracious, glorious fact lie in your spirit until it permeates all your thoughts and makes you rejoice, even though you are without strength. Rejoice that the Lord Jesus has become your strength and your song. He has become your salvation. The joy of the Lord is our hope. So let's talk about why do we lose hope? Well, number one, we can lose hope because we've done something sinful. Psalm 119, says, and David is writing, it says, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. You see, when we think about sinful things, It will allow us to have our soul fainting because of sin, even if we decide to redefine what sin is. David goes into great detail in Psalm 51, talking about what happens to us when we sin. Let me quickly give you seven negative effects of sinning, all taken from Psalm 51. Number one, David cries out to the Lord and he says, Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. So we learn, first of all, that sin dirties my soul. That's why he says, wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. There's another thing that happens when we sin, according to Psalm 51. It dominates my mind. Verse number three, David says, I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. David was grieving because he kept remembering the sins that he committed. He said, it's always before me, dominating my mind. Well, sin not only dirties the soul, not only dominates the mind, but it also damages my conscience. Verse number four says, against you, and you only have I sinned. David is feeling guilt. And he says, Lord, I have committed this transgression, and it's really against you. Oh, yeah, Bathsheba was involved. Uriah was killed over David's sin. But ultimately, that sin impacted David's consciousness. He says, I feel guilt over my sin. Number four, sin also depresses my heart. That's why David cries out in Psalm 51, verse number eight. He says, Lord, let me hear joy. And gladness. He was saying, Because of my sin, I am depressed. I want victory over my depression. I'm not hearing any joy. And he cries out to the Lord that he will restore to him that joy and that gladness. Well, sin does something else, it also destroys the body. In verse number eight, David says, Let my bones that you have crushed, let them rejoice. You see, David's body was falling apart all because of sin. And number six, we learned that sin can defile our spirit. That's why David cried out to the Lord, created me a pure heart, O God, and then renew that steadfast spirit within me. In other words, David had gotten to the point where he was so discouraged. He didn't have that drive and that termination. He didn't have that steadfast spirit. And he says, Lord, create this pure heart in me. My spirit has been defiled. I need that steadfast spirit within me. And there's one other thing that we see that sin does. It diminishes our testimony. David cried out to the Lord in Psalm 51, verse 14. And he says, Lord, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh God, you are are my God and my savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, David knew because of what he did and having that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and having Uriah ordered to be killed by placing him on the front lines in the battle. He knew that it hurt his testimony. And he says, Lord, forgive me and now restore my testimony so that I can sing of your righteousness, so that my lips and my mouth can declare your praise. I want you to know that sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and make you stay longer than you want to stay. But if you confess your sin, that hope can be restored. There's a second reason why we lose hope. We can lose hope not only because of sin, but also because we have been deeply wounded by somebody. In Psalm twenty-five, twenty-one, it says, "My integrity and my uprightness may protect me, because my hope is in the Lord." Albert Einstein said, "You cannot solve a problem with the same mind that created." In other words, as we have a problem in our lives, we can't get it out of ourselves because. We created that problem. Scripture tells us that we must renew our minds, and then we'll be able to face the relational problems more effectively. So when we've been deeply wounded by somebody, realize our hope is not in them. Our hope is in God. You see, by having that hope in God, we realize that He's going to bring about retribution to that person. He wants to be reconciled with me. David says that God prepared a table before him in the presence of his enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So don't focus on getting that person back. Don't focus even thinking about how much they have hurt you. You see, the more you nurse a hurt, the more you rehearse it, the worse it gets. Forgive and live as that offense never took place. After an offense has been confronted, it's time to move on. Don't get stuck in a rut. That's what a grave is. A grave is a rut that has two ends that are sealed off. Don't get stuck in the rut. Oh yeah, people are going to hurt you. People are going to wound you. People are going to do what people do. Our hope comes from the Lord. Well, there's a third reason that we can lose our hope. One is because we're sinful. Two is because we've been wounded by somebody. The third way that we lose our hope is We lose our hope when we're pulled in the wrong direction, when we're following along the lines of temptation. Uh, That's why James reminds us that nobody should say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, because God doesn't tempt with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Uh, So when you're being tempted, don't say, well, God is tempting me to do this. God doesn't tempt you. God may try you, but He won't tempt you. James says each person is tempted when he's lured away and he's enticed by his own desire. And then that that desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, my hope is in God's guidance. My hope is that he will guide me every step of the way. David said, he guides me along the right path for his namesake. If you're tempted to go down the wrong path, I want you to know that's not the Lord tempting you to take the wrong path. That's you're being tempted and lured away by your own desires. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. So if you're being pulled in the wrong direction, say, Lord, would you lead me in the right direction? Right now, I confess that I'm going down the wrong path. I'm hanging out with the wrong people. I'm heading in the wrong direction but the Lord will guide you on the right path. You see, we tend to lose hope when we're under temptation for a long time, when we're under the pressure to succumb to sin. Oh, I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, follow the path of the Lord. And then number four, we tend to lose our hope when we're hounded by fear. And Job 27, 8, we see that Job is being hounded, and he's looking at those who are godless, and he's reminding himself, those who are godless, who are trying to fill him with fear, one day they're going to be cut off from life. One day God's going to take away their life. Their life is going to be over, and they have no relationship with God, and so they have this great fear of dying. But Job says, I'm not going to let that fear get the best of me. I'm going to trust the Lord, even if I lose my life. Tony Evans, a few years ago, gave a tribute sermon uh, reflecting on the life of his wife, his wife, Lois Evans. You know, Lois Evans was a great woman of God. And Tony says, you know, a baseball player has one goal when he gets up the bat. That is to make it to home plate. He certainly doesn't want to strike out, and he doesn't want to just make it to first base, or he doesn't just want to make it to second base, or or even to third base. That batter wants to make it across the home plate, with the umpire saying as he slides across the home plate, "You're safe." On a recent podcast, Tony Evans talked about his wife and how that she had a battle with cancer that ended up taking. Her from this world, and he reflects on the last few moments of his time with his wife just before she passed. She asked him some questions, and 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 he shared that in the podcast. Louis Evans asked, "Well, well, well Tony, uh, do you see my mother? Uh, she's right over there by uh, the fireplace. Why can't you see her?" She continued on as she's preparing to meet the Lord she says, my father, there's my father. Uh, She was seeing a glimpse of heaven. And then she said, two days, two days, take me up. Two and a half days later, she was gone. Acts chapter seven, he saw heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. When the time for your departure is near, uh, you want to hear these things. Acts chapter seven is a the story of, of Stephen going up into heaven. And then she said one last thing, Lois Evans, one last thing to her beloved husband, Tony. She said, now, Tony, uh, let me go. You have to let me go. It's time. When I think about these words, uh, that's how I hope that I go. I hope I can have my family around and say, okay, I said, okay, I've preached my last sermon. I've made my last hospital visit. I've done my last task that the Lord has asked me to to do. Uh, Let me go. Uh, Let me go home. It's time. Maybe that's what Paul was thinking when, when he finished his journey, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, there is hope in the fact that God loves us, even in the darkest valley. Maybe you've lost some hope today because you've been haunted by fear. Maybe you're worried about the economy. He said, you know, things are going crazy in the economy. We have unprecedented uh, inflation. Interest rates are are skyrocketing. And and maybe you're fearful because you've lost your job and and you're wondering, how am I going to provide for my family? Maybe you've received a diagnosis that your health is not good and, and you're worried about that. Paul said, my departure is at hand. I'm ready uh, to to meet my Lord. I'm not going to be fearful of this time of transition because I have fought the good fight. David said, even though I walk through that darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You know, when you have a perfect love relationship with the Lord, there is no fear at all in that love relationship. Perfect love drives out that fear. You know, we're fearful because of punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Well, today have you lost your hope? If it's because of a sinful issue, confess that. If it's because you've been wounded by somebody, forgive that person. If it's because you're being hounded by fear, realize that God will be with you every step of the way. Maybe you have lost your hope today, because it looks like, and it feels like I'm going to be defeated. I feel like I'm on the losing side. This is what Job said. In Job chapter 30, verse 26, he says, when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. Job is getting at a point where he says, man, I'm tired of being afflicted. I'm tired of everybody coming against me. I'm looking for good, and it seems like it keeps turning to evil. I'm looking for the light, but it keeps turning into darkness. I remind you of a promise that was given in Exodus chapter 14, and it was given to Moses. Moses, I want you to know the Lord will fight with you. You only have to be silent. God will fight for you. How do you feel like you're going to be defeated? You feel like you're on the losing side? God will fight for you. Have hope in his deliverance. Proverbs 23:18 says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Don't you love that? You have a future. God's not done with you yet. Your hope will not be cut out. And you may feel like you're afflicted on every side, but Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we may feel afflicted on every side, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We may be persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We may feel like we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why? Because we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Hey, I've got some really good news for you. Until the Lord's done with you, you are invincible. You may face some afflictions as you go through life. Psalm 34:19 says, "Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all." So being defeated is often a temporary condition. Giving up is what makes it permanent. Uh, so don't quit. Hang in there. Keep on keeping on. God is going to use this time of testing in your life to give you a wonderful testimony. God loves to take the mess of our lives and turn it into a powerful and a meaningful message. God is teaching you to be more like Him as you go through trials. Don't lose hope. If you need some extra help in this matter of remaining hopeful, maybe there's an addiction you can't get past. Maybe there's a hurt that you're hung up on. Why don't you join us this Sunday night at 6 o'clock for Celebrate Recovery. Hickory Ridge Community Church, 6 o'clock p.m. Sunday night, Celebrate Recovery. Love to have you come. We're at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. If you have any questions about it, shoot me a text, 252-267-2365. Pastor Calvin, 252-267-2365.